Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? So one of my favorites, Osho, um, had um, had a real interesting story. Um, there's always lots of talk in um, spirituality and spirituality, how it gets mixed um, with religion. So you have like these institutional religions. And of course, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, they have the path to God. And I think like the more mechanical, like, overall view we're always trying to say is just keep your eyes open keep your self-centered be present be aware of what you're listening to and you can hear divinity from people you can certainly hear divinity from religions you can hear divinity from books it's 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 out there more than what we understand and um I was listening to Osho and he was he was talking about Buddhism and I'm always um I always kind of perk up when I hear him go into another religion because he's telling a parable uh about Buddha and I'm sure in their culture it's a parable that they understand the same way like if he tells a parable about Jesus you know, in our culture, as we get rolling, it'd be a parable that we understand. But I always like the Buddha ones because I don't know it's coming. So it kind of hits me clean, you know, like I don't have any conditioning about like what this parable is. It just hits me fresh. And so those fresh parables that you can get when um, some of these teachers are going into the other religions. But this one, it just seems so connected to what we've been talking about recently and uh it's the parable of somebody coming into town to challenge buddha which i guess happened quite a bit and this guy comes right in and spits on buddha and immediately i mean it's buddha so you're like oh wow like look at like to the level this spiritual master is being challenged i mean somebody comes into town doesn't say anything walks up to the guy and spits on him and of course it's buddha so buddha is completely non-reactive i mean that part you can kind of intuit already that's what the master would be completely non-reactive but i guess was able to stay in that non-reactive space that sent the guy like enraged away from him and the guy enraged away from him goes and sleeps for the night. And the story is that he has like an awful night. Like he's enraged. He's angry. He's, um, he wants to, you know, get back at Buddha or prove something to Buddha and ends up confronting Buddha again the next day and has somewhat of a breakthrough in terms of just witnessing the non-reaction. And tries to apologize. And this is the part that's really kind of, because it's like one step further. The guy's trying to apologize, apologize to Buddha. I'm sorry that was, you know, out of line. And will you, can you accept my forgiveness? I'm sorry. Can you accept my forgiveness? And Buddha goes, no. 
and immediately like i start when osho's telling a story i'm starting to get the chills i'm like oh my gosh buddha said no and but buddha said no because in order to accept your forgiveness there would have to be some kind of slight that hit my heart there's nothing to forgive you can't have my forgiveness because i don't have anything and has this whole back and forth with a guy and a, and throws the guy for even more of a loop because now the guy can't even apologize for the slight that he had at the beginning. Um, it it really demonstrated to me, um, you know, a lot of what we're talking about with these um, non-reactive states, especially in the dream work. Um, you can certainly see them in the 3D. You can you see them dealing with. Um, I think most of the time we refer to them as petty tyrants. And the concept is these petty tyrants, if if you understand how to watch yourself within, these are kind of blessed situations where you're really being challenged to not step in this ring of obvious emotional outburst. Like you always have the ability, even if it's happening right in front of you, not to let that stuff in. So it was good to see uh, Buddha. It was good to see Osho working on these uh, same concepts that we seem to be talking about. Well, that's kind of weird. We're on the same wavelength again. How did that happen? So I originally, I had kind of a rough night last night. Um, so I'm I'm a bit tired. The original plan was um, that we do something a little different. But last night I, I was also contemplating that too, and I was just looking up uh, famous quotes and parables. I was like, that would be kind of cool to like get like the top ten, top twenty, and talk about them on on here this morning, um, just because. You know, we don't necessarily have people to ask questions, but taking those famous Jesus, Buddha, Osho, taking those parables and then turning them into words uh, from a truth stand- standpoint, I, I thought that would be kind of cool. But um, what you just said was kind of the direction I wanted to go. So it's, it's always baffling to me, but... Um, why wouldn't we be on the same wavelength? But that what right. you just told too—that's a really misunderstood one, and that's that's another reason I like to do quotes because. And I just heard Eckhart Tolle the other day. It's like he picked up a Bible by mistake, and that's the one thing like try to express. Um, or not really express. It's, it's very hard to express that to Christians. Um, so there's been attempts made, but nevertheless, yeah, that's not the easiest thing to do. But his way of finding the Bible was like the be- this beautiful thing. He tells the story. He picked it up by mistake after he awakened, and he exactly what I would do. I mean, after I awakened, I picked it up. I was like, "What's the value in here?" Well, let me go see what this guy Jesus was saying. Like, let me read some of his quotes. When you do that, after you awaken, 
I had read the Bible before. I mean, I, I grew up in a church, so I had opened the Bible before. It's not the same as Eckhart Tolle. After I awakened, it's it's a different kind of understanding. I mean, um, I was going through some of them last night, and just, for example, one of the harshest comments Jesus ever made was, let the dead bury the dead. Pre-awakening, when I was growing up in a church, that's if there's not the correct understanding, if you don't understand his heart and where he's coming from, then you can misconstrue that, construe that and it's, uh, you know, falls in line with the fear-based religion and indoctrination. Um, when I when I read it afterwards, I was like, I mean, that's that's the most <clears throat> simple thing ever because he is he's not necessarily talking to a dead person. He's talking to one of his disciples, right? He's talking like me and you would talk on a podcast. He's talking truth. He says to them about a bunch of unconscious people burying someone and it's just a translation thing a language thing in his time he's referring to dead people as unconscious people he's referring to the person that died as unconscious he's turning to the disciple why are you worried about that let the dead bury the dead and i immediately got that as, as soon as i so it's I mean, yeah, I guess it could seem harsh, but uh, I don't know if it would necessarily be worded that way, you know, 2,000 years later. But I understand why he worded it that way. I mean, there's no... There's no reason for him not to say that to one of his disciples who's, you know, awakened with them in, in, in the context of that conversation. It, that, that's interesting if you take those two, like um, uh, the master being spit on and then let the dead bury the dead. Like, where does somebody get off, like, able to say something like that? Where does somebody get off with, like, that kind of, um, you know, absoluteness? Uh, where does that come from? Um, how do they have that developed? How does that not transfer into ego? But I think you can you can see it um, in some ways, even conceptually, if you look at the master being spit on. I mean, if you if you imagine yourself in in our cases, I mean, it'd probably be like some kind of work environment. Like, imagine like you're you're giving like a work speech, like in an auditorium, and there's people there, and imagine you. And somebody walks up right in the middle of that speech and spits on you. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to have all of this conditioning that says that's an insult, that says that's not supposed to happen, that says this person is against me, that says I need to save face because now I look stupid in front of all these people. You're going to have all of these things, all of this conditioning that's attached to you. And even if you can stand there and, you know, not slap him or not physically react, you're not going to be in a place where you can internally not start engaging these thoughts of 
being insulted. But the spiritual master, the Buddha, the Jesus, the you know Osho, in those moments of extreme provocation are able to take that moment clearly for what it is. So Buddha, when he gets spit on, immediately, and this is him talking about how he's able to do it. So how do you not have that conditioning confront you at that time? And it's compassion. So his first interaction with the moment of now is, what is a matter with this person? This person is in suffering. This person needs help. This person is going to require attention of love. So that it's that compassionate bodhicitta that he's cultivated in his own heart that's leading the way in those moments of now where he's being tested rather than the conditioning. So those are the types of uh, interactions with presence that is leading to these deeper things that they'll say about the system overall. A great example is let the dead bury the dead. Yeah, I think a master's is you have universe law and masters understand it, but they are universe law. So they're right. It embodies them. It's not something they believe in. They understand the rules, but the rules are inside of them. Yes. Like the rules yeah. are there. So when, you know, Jesus says something like judge, lest you be judged. So, you know, someone who's unconscious walks away with that and it starts the conversations in the head. And then the conversations in the head begin to well up. And they begin to write on the slate. You begin to change your energy. It's very interesting, that compassion thing, because, um, you know, there is verses that are like, you know, let God be the judgment or whatever in, in, in religious text or perspective that's, you know, let God be the punisher from the throne because when this guy dies, he's going to have to answer for all of his, all of his sins. But just like the confusion about having being a faraway place and not within kind of a lot of the spiritual laws apply to that too, because that's not a far away God punishment from a throne thing. <clears throat> that's compassion. Now, I think the verse like you, when you do that correctly, it's like weeping hot coals on someone's head because it starts right there. Right now, like in the present moment, as soon as you like someone spits on you, that the, the, the process has started. That's why he's overcome with no, normally in regular life, just small stuff. If you do that correctly, normally that person comes back to you within five, 10 minutes and apologizes. A good example is the people that you're really close to and, and I'm guilty of it. Or, you know, if I do something that's overreactive to my wife and she doesn't react to me after five minutes, I'm like, damn, that was me. I got to go apologize <laughs> or vice versa. You right. you do something, you're like, you, you don't engage, you don't elevate, you don't react. Um, 
and compassion is there. Uh, a lot of times you do it with your kids and um, children are like real quick. Like they can't stand that th- thing. I mean, it's like, okay, um, that was me. I'm sorry. So you, there's little and there's big. Obviously, like the real angry guy coming and spitting on some someone. But there's there's anomalies too. Like I mean, you can be, you can set people free, um, not even knowing it. Like you can be in the convenience store with a stranger, and you know they could be directing anger, anger to you, and you can apply compassion as well. Now he may not. He may get on the road and start going, and he may never have the chance to come back and apologize to you, but you don't know how these things are interacting. So there's all kinds of situations that come up to where people either feed that energy, and then that leads to their conversations in the head and spread, and 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 then they have the whole judgment thing because – you know, resentment is judgment. So like you leave that with resentment and the conversations in the head, then you're, you're following the universe law of being judged and judging. So now yeah. you're judging, you're being judged, you're in conflict. It, it's good. Cause you're, you're painting the picture of like what unconsciousness is and that and we use that a lot unconsciousness and asleep and awake and but even somebody who's religious will get very very comfortable with that idea of oh he's going to get what he deserves and you you get that um they 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 become clear in that judgment and sometimes that judgment can be clear like i understand that i mean if it's you know somebody that's on drugs and like robbing a place and causing harm in society you can god's going to handle him god's going to take care of him he's going to get what he deserves but that's what we mean about unconscious like you don't realize like you're part of the problem there you're you're taking that judgment in within you and you're understanding it as some kind of like ultimate right that's going to be, you know, scaled out and, and you're playing that part. You're doing it right then. Yeah. They're that. That's the other side of it. That's like the, I'm thinking for a, a word for it, but they're like safe holds for religious people. It's not true compassion. It's, um, it's saying, Oh, he's going to get what he deserves, but out of resentment. So just yes. because you say the right thing, but you right. say it from the incorrect unconscious state energy, <clears throat> what you say doesn't matter. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. So it's it's a safe hold, and there's a lot of safe holds. There's a lot of ego protections um, when you find yourself in a religious thing. And that's, that's the power of like the book of Eli, like the power of, of, of the, the doctrine there's they, it's the power of what you were talking about. It can go either way, but it also in a religion can go that way. And the power of it is like this weird control thing, but it's a safe hold for the ego. So you can, your whole life have these awesome truths and they have somewhat a power 
for you, but it's the power to sustain the ego and keep it in this little box or middle ground and protect it all the way to death. It's a complete unconscious safe hold uh, yeah. in that direction. As so, I mean, we've seen like people going in other directions because of, you know, applying, you know, certain things and going, but you know, religion's no different, even if you have all the verse and chapter. Yeah. And I mean, so the, there's really only one, it's, it's that, that compassion, that cultivated compassion is really the only thing that you can do. So instead of, you know, from afar, you, you know, like witnessing somebody on the news and instead of letting it be, you know, he's going to get what's coming to him. I mean, instead of like taking comfort in that thought, I mean, your only refuge is like just to witness that suffering. And then there, there is, there is a deeper one. I mean, you have to kind of realize that people are in desperate search situations and that's probably you. If you go far enough back that you've been in all these desperate situations. So the clarity to say, uh, yes, this person is suffering. And from the looks of it, you know, they're suffering from decisions that they're making for themselves. And I hope these decisions just lead to some for, form of enlightenment that they can carry with them. And I'm just sorry that they have to go through this. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a, there's a better way even conceptually rather than, you know, look at that bad behavior. I know God's going to give him what's coming when it's over. That one's so much easier to just sit there and that one you feel good about. It doesn't require like, it doesn't require giving because that's what we always talk about giving as if it's um, like you got to go and like give the homeless guy money. But giving, like giving to another person, is giving freely that compassion when the time comes. Instead of taking that easy route of judgment, you're you're giving. You're giving that moment of now, like you're really breaking through and 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 giving him a moment, even though he doesn't deserve it. Where you try to understand him compassionately, and you try to put yourself in his shoes. And you try to realize that all the stuff that he's gone through is probably stuff that you've gone through in other ways. But that's giving. That's giving. And it's harder to do than judgment. Yeah. Um, uh, the harder to do thing, I think, fall as you were speaking, I mean, it just hit me like compassion is a state. Yeah. Like unconscious people, if, if, if you've never meditated, um, and you're trying to grasp in your mind what compassion is, it's not something that like, I didn't have, I thought I had compassion, but I didn't have true compassion until, like you said, you walked into a retail store with 200 people in it. Yeah. True compassion until I woke up. I had a, a, a concept of compassion and I knew the right things to say in my head when, when something like that happened. 
but I didn't have the understanding to overcome because it's to an unconscious person to not let resentment into those conversations in the head is almost impossible without some type of awakening. So when I learned what compassion was, it was something that was just like in me now that uh, it was like a state, like a non-reactive state. Someone comes up and obviously you do have this discernment where, you know, you see an angry person and you, you, say that person's angry but there's absolutely nothing attached to your discernment conclusions there's nothing attached so um seeing someone angry in the past you may say even like you know questions that are like damn that dude's angry or you know the compassion thing from the higher state is just a recognition that someone's unconscious and they're angry and that's just a true compassion state from that point like this uh, compassion was effortless for me after learning how to meditate i guess that's the whole seek and you shall find and um you know seek first and everything else will be added to you because you definitely can't go into a book and look at the definition of compassion and say i want to claim my compassion for today like you got to go within and do the work and and then compassion is like part of the universe laws that is inside of you right yeah i definitely it it's a very it's a very deep and difficult concept in terms of um walking the path daily um there definitely are things still where i can get tripped up and most of the time it's it's just a matter of righteousness that and i think what it is is just fatherhood like after fatherhood you're you you have like your your base judgments about like what you think the culture and what you think society is but then there's this other set of judgments that hits even closer to home and that's like uh very protective protective so like if you are in a retail space or whatever um you can maybe find yourself being compassionate by somebody who's um you may maybe like mentally ill and um obviously um uh, you know agitated but then you have like this underlying judgments and those are, I think more have to do with the role of your protective role. And once you like have kids, it's not even necessarily protective of your kids. You just become protective of the younger generation. And that one's, that one's harder because you can find yourself putting everybody into two categories. Like, this is somebody I need to worry about. And this is somebody that's in the clear and you're making those snap judgments real quick. That one still kind of, um, trips me up at times. Yeah. As you're talking, um, I'm, I'm looking up some parables here. So, yeah, here's, here's one, uh, from, from Jesus thou seeing, they do not see, thou hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. 
for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. So that's the whole reaching out the hand thing. Like, he's even stating, I I can't do anything about that until... And he's basically saying I would heal them. But so, like, that's the the pedestal thing, like... Uh, Jesus has been put on this insane pedestal and you know, a lot of the stories are, are him telling you not to do that. But this one, people would see this and be like, Oh, he healed them. He's making the point that he can't do anything about an unconscious person. He can't do anything about an unconscious person unless that person turns and reaches out that hand like we talked about and that's a metaphor in itself i'm not talking about physically reaching out the hand but at some point that something inside has to reach out a hand a question has to be asked and then the healing can take place and he's telling everyone without that i can do nothing yeah i I feel like I'm off going on this one, but it, it, it was such a huge impression when you said that I saw Trinity and Neo and um, it's so crazy with the helicopter scene when Neo has the rope and he looks down at the rope. He doesn't know that Trinity is going to be at the other end of that rope, like doing it correctly. He doesn't know that in his head. He doesn't know that as a concept. Yeah. He just takes the rope and strengthens his position and say, okay, I'm going to hold on. And this is, this is your only hope. And of course, he does know something deep in his heart at that moment. And so he maintains his position on the rope. And then, of course, at the last minute, Trinity is able to make the decision and therefore, you know, she avoids the collision. It's, it's interesting when you look at Jesus and um, you try to imagine him in that light and there are people reaching and then he is holding the rope. But some people don't have the clarity to turn around and look for the rope. They're just full steam ahead in their own unconsciousness and they're just going to hit the building. I I found a pretty good find on here. This this is rapid fire, some good ones. This one I kind of applies to like awakening and then losing it. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Just, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, I mean, explaining like where we're at, um, you know, everything that we do in, in, in the path, um, in everything that I've, you know, learned over the past few years is that. You know this. This is this is the one of the toughest place places um, <clears throat> to 
awaken, sustain just the bombardment of where we are. And I know I said this before, but the three-dimensional hell is like all around us. Like this is the place to overcome. This is the place to do it. And it's, it's not easy. Like the path is narrow, a few that find it. I mean, that like, that rings in my head all the time. It's not, it's, it's just a truth of, you know, the level of unconscious, not just by individuals, but um, masses as a whole, countries as a whole. We're just listening to um, uh, Rogan the other day and Duck and Trussell's on and, and, you know, even people that are, you know, slowly waking up or just see glimpses of the truth, understand like, like in our heartbroken because the level of egos on the masses, like, um, and we still think that like war and killing massive amounts of people is somehow progressing humanity. And it's a rough place we're in. And, and I, I think that's what he's basically saying. I mean, it's a treasure hidden in the field. You look at where we're at, like it, it is all around us, but it's a metaphor because, you know, you, you put a box in a cornfield and go find it. Then all you want to do is, you know, go run in the cornfield again, you know, not because you don't love the kingdom of heaven or whatnot, just because you're constantly bombarded. Like the path is, is disciplined and, um, it's just the place. That's why I think they talk about, man, if you can, if you can do this, you know, there's a lot of things that are, um, not necessarily it's not the god on the throne like here's your reward type thing i'm talking about there's universe laws built in again with this like if you can do if you can you know form your solar body here man what have you done yeah you can see that clearly and even even my path i mean it's you know wait, I walked on another planet. Like I, 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 you just, you can't, whatever you do, you're back in the physical, you're back in the 3d and your mind is still attached to your body. And the whole thing is how do I work through this new information without constructing ego around it? very very difficult task even when you know conceptually the correct directions to go like you're still going to get caught like there's no there's no escaping the hell that you're creating for yourself all the time and that's evident in what you just said where the environment is an obvious manifestation of a collective unconsciousness that's uh creating this giant hell realm but i mean you're even once you're on the path you'll you'll see yourself claiming the riches of spirituality in incorrect ways and trying to do course adjust adjustments all the time and that's just trying to to deal with the construction the way I always look at it is construction of new ego that um, is necessary just in terms of uh, 
moving around in the environment to get re, uh, you know life situation responsibilities done um but even that is kind of an incorrect way when you think new ego because when you start to really try to understand it it's like oh it's old ego it's old ego still that's persistent and making that flip back and forth is um is always interesting but yeah even even smacking your face on the spiritual treasures does not mean you get to just grasp them and take them no that this was a good find some of this stuff i've never seen before No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Never heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. Is that one you think that's specifically talking about the bodies? Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen, there's so many parables about the kingdom of heaven. I didn't know there was so much. There's like. Are these all Christian biblical ones? Yeah, this is like, uh, yeah, this is all. Um. So, yeah, I was having a conversation with that, that, you know, we do have a background with Jesus. So, you know, Jesus is somewhat of a Buddha and then, you know, Buddha is more Eastern. But as, as you grow, you understand. I was just having a conversation with uh, Hayden um, last night and she was talking about um, we we're going back and forth about, you know, how to hear and how to how to trust as far as the truth that's coming out of someone and knowing someone by their fruits um and i think that's the biggest protection for someone who's awakened is is knowing that wherever you go and and then what what it did for me is it opened my eyes to more options too because there's no denying like any spiritual master over the years when they speak truth because you know the seeds that they sowed so if i hear something from anyone that resonates with me you know i don't i don't necessarily put jesus on a pedestal above them or buddha on them i just see they all you know sowed the correct seeds over their life and you know i know them by their fruits which is kind of the whole spiritual relationship, which nobody gets. Um, like I started off the program, Eckhart Tolle, like, met the fruits of Jesus on accident after he awakened. He's like, oh, I know you. So that's yeah. a metaphor, too. It's not, you, know, you talk about personal relationship, like I walk. I walk down the street hand in hand with Jesus every day. Like it's, it's not like that. It's uh, he was explaining the metaphor. Oh, I just met Jesus for the first time. Like I met, I saw his fruits. I understand like he could shut it and he may never open it again, but he's like the most, um, that's, that's the metaphor of 
of knowing them by their fruits. But I had that conversation last night with, with Hayden. It was pretty cool. Um, but it definitely branched me off more to I just people like Gene Hart. Like if, if Gene Hart, something was going off in me that didn't resonate, then I would go in another direction. But I listened to him and I was like, okay, he's got, he has good fruits. He's, he sowed his seeds well. And then that stayed positive because that was when I was introduced to astral projection and anyone who's introduced to it, that everyone should have natural skepticism because you haven't experienced it. But if I heard the fruits and gene, that lets me know to go forward that it's not some crazy lunatic that's trying to, um, but it, it, it's super easy after you awaken. Like I told yeah. you, I turn on the TV sometimes on Sunday morning just to hear the non-fruits. <laughs> it's it's so right. comical at times because it's so stark of a difference. You could see ego like um, a mile away. It's the smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's even int- intellectually and conceptually, I mean, when you see it, it you know, why wouldn't it be that way? I mean, if you look at humanity, you have all these different expressions of humanity. Like one painter is, you know, that human painter, and there is another human painter, but that human painter has contrast from the other human painter, but they're both human painters. Like the the expression of humanity comes in and like we we can clearly see it just expresses differently in people. But then divinity is the exact same thing. Divinity can come through and it expresses its way in Eckhart. And I, I mean, him talking about himself as being the midwife for consciousness and the divinity is clearly coming out through him. And then you try to, you know, read scriptures that are, you know, thousands of years old and you can see, oh, from in that time, that was the Eckhart Tolle doing it in the way that was significant at that time. And then you can see other expressions of divinity and it just becomes clear. And even if you look, you know, you look at Buddha and you look at Jesus and they're two expressions of the divinity coming out of two different cultures and just doing it in different ways. And when you understand that, and you can, you can kind of look at both of them, and they're just both beautiful expressions of divinity. And that's, um, that is easy to see afterwards. I mean, that is kind of like the whole game is, I mean, you're kind of walking around and I'm, sometimes I can even see it in people during the day. Like we, we, we talk about, um, presence and maintaining presence. And in, in my day, you have like a lot of interactions with a lot of different people, but you can actually hear divinity come out of somebody's mouth and it, it will turn your head and you'll, and you, and you, you can have a moment with them. Like you, somebody will, will say out loud. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this today. I'm just not myself today. And I just kind of look, I'm like, oh, something's coming out. Something's, something's ready to pop. And, but you can hear it on people. You can, you can hear it. And divinity's 
always wants to talk through because the the matter and the form is like this thing that's on top of our divinity. All these conditionings, all these thoughts, all these um, interactions with people, all this culture, this is stuff that's on top of our divinity. It's like this, like these garments that we have like around our divinity. But all we have to do is kind of understand how to peel that stuff off and be with ourselves in a much more naked way. And then that divinity will come even out your own mouth. Get rid of all the obstacles. Um, was that Michael Singer? Was that all him? the obstacles? Yeah. Well, Michael Singer is the surrender. Guy. Is that the one yeah. you just sent me? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just explained yeah. backwards. Like it's not divinity getting to you; it's you obstructing and blocking with your miserable thoughts having no way to unblock that some people need assistance some people have the will to do it um but the underlying things is if if you're not there to experience that divinity coming through is surrender um then doing that through meditation is one of the best ways to do it but you just described there like we often talk about like the great masters. And I think it is fitting to say like, there's people that find it and that you may come across in your path, but don't have any interest in ever being in the limelight and just, you know, go around their awakened life and be, I also think there's people that never were susceptible to the conditioning and they never needed an awakening. There's people like that out there that had maybe by accident or basically it's like, you know, a baby and even down to school and, and church and religion, a baby that was just basically left alone. And in a lot of cases, that's done by accident. Like it's done by like that kid, maybe not having the best life, but he was just left alone and it naturally, not it, the, the, the child naturally flowers because it was left alone. So you bombard with the establishment of school and church and everything. It begins to cultivate culture conditioning. And then at, in the twenties and thirties, then the person is like trying to unwind all that. And you, you even see a lot of young people are like, oh, I went to college for six years and I'm, I'm in this cubicle and I discovered I hated my job and, and I bought a van and, drove to right. nevada and uh, you see a lot of that now which is definitely a good thing so you got all types of people out there and all types of interactions you can have besides you know spiritual masters we they've just put out this work that's more public than everyone else so we can share that um but yeah, I've had some interesting conversations with people over the years that um, a lot of unconscious and then a lot of what I thought was conscious. <clears throat> and then going back to the Jesus thing, you put, I think we even said it before, you're exactly right. Like if you put an Eckhart Tolle 2,000 years ago, I mean, that man's getting crucified too. Like you put anyone in that situation, like with the, it's it's like, kind of the same thing we got going on now with the 
the egos of the countries. Um, you know, we're still not beyond that even 2000 years ago, but now take away all the technology, um, all the stuff. And now we're back in like, you know, spear throwing days and, um, like Braveheart and people fighting that way. Very like animalistic ego type thing. Like we're, we're smarter now conceptually. So I think that helps us in a, in a little bit because, common sense almost like kind of takes over like and it may overrule before we even get to nuclear warfare like it could like but back then you're talking about unconscious on a level that is is probably like barbaric like you know public hanging like just the the well the public crucifix crucifixion or uh crucifix. it was common yeah. Is is common, yeah. That that type of unconscious. So you put a Jesus in that time period, like they're like you, the the persecution is off the charts because this dude is like he wakes up. That's why I said here. I mean, we're kind of blessed to do this whole thing and broadcast this over the world. It's kind of cool to be in this time because you know we could just wake up and now share it around the world. I mean, it's pretty freaking easy for us to do that here. I mean, it's kind of taking for granted, honestly, to wake up 2000 years ago in those kind of conditions, like there's only 12 people that followed the guy. Probably. A lot, yeah. There's probably a lot of freaking people back then too, but nobody wanted to die. Nobody wanted to take up their cross because for divinity's sake so what you're up against then like i say 3d hell back then it's like uh there's beasts all around like you can see them yeah that's the way that i mean we know that one the best that's definitely what's very interesting about the christ story is i mean you have to imagine I mean, it's obviously christ was able to quickly ascend and like what what that entailed in terms of like his lifetime and stuff there i think there's some gaps i think that's interesting but around christ there must have been like lots of other more mild ascensions i mean and can you imagine what it must have been like to like like on the level we are like just try to speak truth in the square because Christ, I mean, the ultimate thing that happened to him is because, I mean, he stayed stubborn through that life situation and just rode that truth all the way to crucifixion. But if you go back to like some of the early provocations, I mean, imagine like I take you out tomorrow and I just take a hammer and I break every bone in your in your hand and I just say, stop talking. You're going to stop talking. And how much of that was going on around, and and when you start to realize that, you're like, oh, this is where we came from. This this is this is what's developed into this moment that we have now. But how many times in the past have we tried to start understanding this and had it like squashed down from the reality of the hell realm? Like on a very physical level. I bet, I mean, there was one Christ, but I bet there was a million people who got physically tortured and crushed and were just told to shut up. 
Christ is so important because he's the one who just did it and rode it all the way to the crucifixion. He just said, hey, I'm going to die for I'm going to die for this truth. And I'm going to make you kill me. In some so, there, there is something universe law. And this is something that I've always not agreed with as far as intuition. But when you die in that way, when you die with compassion, like something happens where you, I mean, obviously you are elevated in a sense, but the manifestation of what that's become by religious people, I know that's not totally in sync with truth. What I'm saying is like mechanically, if someone were to take compassion and embody the spiritual laws to death, then you do like, like I was saying, like the solar body dying on the cross, like something magical and mystical. That's what we're talking. We're always talking about spiritual and mystical. That's what we're trying to do. He died with the solar body compassion on the cross you know, at that point. So something mystical and magical does happen. What, what the full understanding of that is, but it's definitely not, I died for everyone's sins, do whatever the hell you want. Like, that's what we, I talked about Hayden. That's how it got into the knowing by the fruits. I was talking to Hayden about that. I said the fundamental flaw, because they do have the Christian background. So, you know, as they're growing up, I'm, you know, having conversations and letting that flower at the pace that it flowers and understanding now, you know, older, how to do that. Uh, Because when I was younger, I didn't necessarily know, but I have the conversations as they present themselves, like as that flowers from here to here, I'm here to here. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 um, something I've acquired, but the conversation was in the religion today, the number one fundamental flaw is the ego, you know, passing something out or the preacher or anyone telling someone, ask Jesus into your heart, mean it with everything. And, you will be saved. Now I know it's very controversial, but that statement alone, that blanket statement leads to a protection of ego your whole life. And I'm not, and I, and I even told her, I said, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not a moment there. I'm not saying like, you know, you're not projecting in prayer and that you mean it. I'm not saying that that's not a seed. I'm not saying it's a wrong thing to do. I'm saying the fundamental flaw is when they tell you like it ends there. Because that's the that's what's being told is it ends there. Like it's done right there. And I don't agree with that because it robs the person of flowering. And then we got into talking about trees and um 
you know, I said, Hey, you got flowers that will flower in one day and you got trees that take 25 years to bloom. So everything known by someone's fruits, you apply that to everything around you. It's the power of being able to perceive. So knowing someone by your fruits, you're just aligning with what you see. There's, um, there's a really, really good book, and um, it, it just helps you see it in a different light. And I think that's the problem with Christianity in terms of, like, the ones who, like, grow up in it. Like, they're, they're so rigid in their, in their understanding of that. They don't realize that it's happening, like, in a much wider area, but one one book that really explains this is Mark Twain's Joan of Arc. Um, it's, it's an excellent book. It's uh, historical fiction, but it's the same thing. It's the same story. This girl is very, very young. I mean, it'd be great for Hayden. I don't know if she, if, if she can read it through a book or um, I'd listened to it on audible and it was absolutely amazing. Uh, the narrator was amazing, but all it is is a girl who wakes up at 15 and starts speaking truth and then starts speaking more and more truth to like more and more powerful life situations and then won't stop. It's the same thing Christ did. Stop, starts speaking truth and then won't stop. And then it gets to a point where like they're telling you better stop. You better stop speaking truth and she won't. And they torture her. You better stop speaking truth. And she won't. And they torture her for months. And the book is so good because it's like listening to Osho or it's like listening to Jesus. Every time she opens her mouth, you're like, oh, my God, this beautiful girl at 16, 17, 18, 19, I think they kill her at 20 years old, is just speaking truth the whole time. Every time she opens her mouth, speaking truth to this system. And finally, they burn her for speaking truth. She keeps speaking truth all the way up to the point where like they light the match and she's still speaking truth. Won't stop. I mean, you can see it. It's not you, what you want to do in terms of like this whole thing, the whole project of mechanical spirituality is just be careful what the religions and the institutions do they just monopolize it like it's not yours it's not jesus's it's not buddha's it's not muhammad's like they don't get to claim it it's not in your little narrow alley of understanding it's a much greater understanding it is literally everything and that truth is is ready to be expressed in all types of different forms, even by a 15-year-old girl. Oh.